Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? We're back with the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 63. It's yours truly, Chris Lewitt talking about technique and tactics and junior high-performance tennis training. It's good to be back with you guys. I've been away on vacation, and now uh, I'm getting back into work mode. I haven't been on the tennis court in a while, so I'm a little grumpy. I need to be on the tennis court every day to be happy, I think. So I'm looking forward to getting back on the court very soon. Uh, Today's show is about... I call them dinosaur techniques and tactics or dinosaur methods of teaching basically outdated techniques and tactics that need to go extinct, I think, uh, very quickly, hopefully, uh, but it doesn't seem to be happening that way. There are still so many uh, techniques and tactics that I see out in the coaching world that are inefficient, in- ineffective, and outdated, and I just wish coaches would stop teaching these things to the kids out there because at the end of the day I want all those uh, aspiring young kids with big dreams to uh, have success and to uh, to reach their full potential I'll, that's why you get into coaching I think you get into coaching to help kids reach their to reach their highest level to try to extract greatness from the the students that you have the kid the kids in that you work with, and uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of teaching techniques uh, out there that are holding kids back that I'm seeing a lot, especially just finishing summer camp. Uh, I, it's driving me crazy how, uh, like, I have these pet peeves that I, I just keep seeing seasonally every year, and I'm just kind of tired of it, so I thought I'd throw that out there throw those, uh, those ideas out there to you guys and see if you agree or disagree. Uh, some of them may be more controversial than others. Uh, I just think a lot of the way that we teach tennis, at least I know this country best. Obviously, I know Spain very well. But a lot of the technique, especially on the technical side, the things that we teach children are just old school and, and you know, not really on the cutting edge. So like to talk about that today. Little house cleaning first, little housekeeping, uh, things that are coming up for me. I'm getting back to work in the New York City area on Sunday, this Sunday, which is the 21st, I believe, 21st or the 20th, I think 21st. So if you are in the New York City area and you're looking to train on the court with me, uh, hit me up with uh, like text message me and we'll try to set up a time. If it's raining, we'll be at, at our new Greenwich facility where I'll be coaching all year. So I'll be just across the border of New York at, in Greenwich indoors, the indoor clay, which is uh, great to have. And if it's outdoors, we may do something in Westchester, just north of the city. So if you're in that area or you're, you're not too far drive from there, hit me up with a uh, text message and we'll try to set up a time to train. I know some people are still away, but I'm looking to get back on the court. I've had my vacation and I'm ready to work. 
Uh, also, we are training here in Vermont at the club. We are training uh, all week, Monday through Friday. I know a bunch of uh, good players are coming starting this Monday. So if, you're, if you want to train more full-time and you are uh, able to come to the club here, to the academy here in Vermont, in Man uh, just outside of Manchester, Vermont, please let me know and we'll try to arrange that. And that's, that's, that's every week. We train every week, Monday through Friday, uh, about four or five hours a day of tennis and then optional fitness. So you're welcome to join for that. I'm working really hard right now. I'm trying to get, now that the summer camp is finished, I'm trying to get the online school uh, growing. I feel, to be honest, that the online school, which is located at clta.teachable.com, CLTA, like the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy .com, I think the content there is really amazing. And I, I can't believe we, I think it should be more popular than it is. We have a, uh, some diehard fans who, you know, who of the show and of my coaching who are, have uh, bought a lot of those courses and, and you are using them with their students. But I was just looking at, I haven't looked at it in the la that much because I've been b busy coaching, but with the summer camp and I was like, these courses are really good and they're not very expensive and they really share my philosophy and methodology. I just, I think I've been busy with other projects and I haven't really promoted the school enough, the online courses that we have, but they're really good and they're not expensive and they're high, you know, high quality, uh, information. Uh, and for those of you who are not able to train with me personally, I think they're just a great way to learn about, you know, my, my perspective, my philosophy and my methodology. And uh, we'll be adding more courses this year and I'll try, I try to get the word out. You know, I'm not very good with marketing. Uh, we try to keep it real. Don't do a lot of marketing and certainly haven't marketed that online school very much at all. And I just think, uh, I was looking at like the number of, uh, students that we have online. And I was like, man, this, this thing should be blowing up because the content is good. The information is really good. And it's not very expensive, so I think it's a good, good, op good option for people who are far away from uh, the northeastern United States, whether you're international or you're far away in the country. Um, what else? I have some DVDs coming out. I'm kind of excited about that. We're doing the filming September 16th, so there'll be some processing and uh, uh, post, uh, you know, post production on that. But they should be out sometime, probably 2023. Uh, there's a, I know uh, we have four DVDs that, that are in the works. One of them is on the return of serve. One of them is on the uh, uh, transition and volley game, which should be interesting for you guys. And um, obviously, I've mentioned to you the books are a work in progress. We're, we're still shooting for 2023, uh, probably first quarter or second quarter of 2023 publishing date for the new Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Um, so the book's been very popular, but I was looking back and it was published in 2014, which is, so it's starting to get a little old, outdated, like what we're talking about today. Uh, so I, there, there's, I've already started writing the chapters, new chapters for the book. I'm excited about the Secrets of Spanish Tennis 2, S-O-S-T 2. A lot of you guys who are fans of the show have asked for me to do some Q&A at the end. So if you have, um, just a reminder, if you have a a question like a junior development question or a technique question or a question on Spanish tennis, just send me an email to chrislewitt at gmail.com, chrislewitt at gmail.com, and I will start to incorporate the 
like the email grab bag that sometimes we do on the program, you can send me any junior development questions to my email and I will try to answer them on an upcoming show. And that's a good way to, uh, for me to go in depth on uh, important questions that you have and also share those with the community that listens and watches the show. So, like for example, I know uh, I had a request to talk about live ball versus dead ball training. So basket training versus uh, training with the live ball. I think that's a really interesting topic. I might actually want to include that in a, a new program entirely. We could just do a, a show on that and talk about dead ball versus live ball training because I think that's a very interesting debate in the tennis coaching world. And uh, we can kind of dig into that more. We can kind of drill down and go, go deeper into that subject in a future show even. But let me know any questions you have and I'll be happy to answer. That's what this show is all about. Trying to help kids reach their full potential and uh, trying to help um, par especially parents, parents and coaches with any questions that they have to Im improve uh, their success on the court with their students and their, their kids. So let's talk about that. What, what are some of the, the major pet peeves that I have, the big concerns that I have uh, when I see uh, co other coaches in the field, uh, when I visit other clubs, when I, you know, when I run the summer camp, I have players visiting from all over the world, from all over the country, not just from the Northeastern U.S. And I get to see a lot, of, I, I basically get to evaluate how coaches across the country and internationally are teaching their students. And especially with the American students, uh, I'm very concerned about the technique. You know, I, I'm a, I have players who come and I'm always doing technical reconstruction. That's my job. I love to do that. But it, when you step back and you take a bigger, bigger view of what's happening, it, it, for me, it raises a big question is why? Why are coaches teaching um, techniques that are so old? and uh you know very traditional when the game has clearly changed the game the game has the game of tennis now in 2022 going to be 2023 soon uh is dramatically different than it was in the 1960s or 1970s or 1980s and unfortunately as you will see as i go through this list a lot of the techniques that i am seeing uh, and some tactics as well are basically from that era so they're 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 techniques that are very old that worked in those in those decades but are not really appropriate or effective or uh they're they're anachronistic they're not they don't make sense in today's tennis world modern world and but yet they're being taught all over the country we just take this country, the, the U.S., which I know the best, obviously. And I just uh, am kind of tired of seeing the same problems with players who come to me over and over. So I, I'm going to put those out there to you guys. You may agree or disagree. That's fine. But I know I'm right about a lot of these things. And I know that uh, it keeps me very busy making technical uh, recon reconstructing technique, uh, making technical changes, uh, basically saving kids from uh, being relegated to the D the JV squad. Uh, I have a good business doing that, as well as taking kids to the very top of of the country and you know getting kids to you know five star 
becoming a five-star recruit or blue chip. I, I love coaching those kids too. But usually those kids don't have a lot of those the, the technical issues that I'm talking about here. I see lots of players who are lower-level tournament players or they want to become a really good uh, varsity player on their high school team or maybe just improve their ranking, you know, get into the top 50 in, in the East or get into the top 20 in the East, you know, get, to improve their sectional ranking or whatever it is. You know, maybe they're stuck somewhere. And uh, a lot of these techniques and tactics are common ones that I see that are holding kids back. And I get particularly concerned when I, when I see young kids. I love working with young kids, you know, under 10, under 12, uh, one of my some of my favorite uh, ages to work with and it's just sad when you see like a kid being taught strokes from the 1970s and you look at your watch and it's it's 2022 and you're and you look at the television or you look at youtube and you see the way that people are playing and you and you look at the disconnect uh there's such a large disconnect between what is being taught in the grassroots, at clubs around the country, by coaches uh, who uh, m maybe have not taken, uh, have not studied the modern game, uh, with what is happening, the disconnect between what you see that the pros are doing on the on the on the professional tours, and I think that that disconnect should shouldn't be so severe, and that basically I agree with coaches who are teaching young kids more like the way pros play. Now, one caveat is you can't teach kids exactly the same as adult pros because the the difference in um, uh, physical development is is quite large. So there has, has to be some modifications and adjustments for, for young children because their bodies are still growing. They haven't fully matured physically. And that's very important. So I think there, there has to be, that's an important um, asterisk when you're training young kids tech technically especially technically uh, that you can't force them into all of the angles and positions that an adult can do because it, it may lead to an injury and uh, the 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 kids with their young bodies are still developing so you have to be a little bit careful but in general in general I, I have to say that young kids can be taught the way you see the most of the top pros playing nowadays, especially the next generation of top pros, try to look at the the younger pros coming up. You know, the Casper Rudes, the Carlos Alcarazes. You know, look at the the next gen players and their techniques, and then that will give you a glimpse of what the future holds. And try to teach the kids more like that. Just basically, you you try to look at the modern technique. Uh, next generation technique, the way the top pros are doing it. And you try to, with some small modifications, you try to teach that in a systematic way, in a responsible way to young children. And I had a lot of success doing that. And I think the whole, basically the whole textbook that's being taught to like P, um, PTR pros and USPTA. In the, in the US, we have PTR and USPTA, which command the tennis coaching world. I think a lot of the what uh, certified coaches in the U.S. are teaching is dead wrong um, and completely outdated. Uh, if not wrong, then then if that's too strong, or then just say you know very very traditional and not and completely out of touch with 
with what's happening in the modern world of tennis uh, at, at the high level. And I think that is a shame. I would love to see the entire curriculum for coaches revamped more along the lines of, uh, I mean, starting maybe with eliminating some of the things that I'm saying here. But I've been saying this for years. You, you can go back in the program and see many shows that I've talked, where I've talked about um, like myths, busting myths, uh, where I've talked about techniques that are outdated, you know, especially I've spent a lot of time working on technique and biomechanics. And, and now, I mean, even years, years, years go by and it's the same. Every year I see the same things being taught. Like, I don't understand. Are do coaches not, they don't have access to YouTube. They cannot see, uh, they don't watch any professional tennis. They don't watch any clips. Can they even get like a, something off of socials where they see some slow motion of, of the way the pros are swinging now? Or maybe, I don't know what is going on. I know that some coaches believe they should teach like classic technique and then somehow over time the kids will morph into um, like modern technical players. I know there's a philosophy that believes that. Uh, there's like a, like a group of co uh, in the coaching world that, that sort of promote that and believe that. Uh, I don't buy that. I think it's, that's not the most efficient way. It's better to just teach modern um, modified modern, responsible, responsibly, uh, right away, basically at five, six years old, you know, maybe you can teach a very rudimentary classical techniques to uh, a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. But basically once the kid becomes more serious, I usually start with young kids who are serious, like five, six, seven, like just go go for it. Go teach the kids uh, modern modern uh, technical form, and uh, and don't waste your time with classic traditional stuff that that is not the the best way to swing anymore. For example, or to move. We're going to talk about movement too. So this uh, I have a list of ten. You want to get into it, guys? Shoot me any questions you have about teaching techniques or methods. But uh, some of these you, you may have heard me gripe about, and some of them may be new to you. But these are things that I see every year seasonally. Every, every, every player who comes to visit me from outside of, you know, outside of this, uh, this area of New York or, North, or, or Vermont or the Northeast, New England. Uh, I see it all in New England, too. But uh, there are pockets of the country that teach technique I think much better by the way in some areas that are much worse so the level of coaching varies around the country and uh, but I think this this goes back to again the like USPTA PTR the way everyone is certified I think is probably it the whole thing is something's wrong with the way coaches are certified and trained and it probably this probably relates to like red, orange, green, how players are taught in red and orange. The basic curriculums for the red, orange, green are probably way, way off. And that's pro they're probably contributing to why I see a lot of kids at 9, 10, 11, 12 with major technical, in my opinion, major technical issues that need to be addressed and corrected uh, which is the opposite of what should happen in the younger years. Uh, the younger years, you should get the technique beautifully solid and uh, clean. I, I talk about cleaning a lot. 
cleaning the technique and it's just a shame you have all these basically you have all these kids you know like I'm a dad I have I have four kids and uh, you have all these kids out there across the country they're all aspiring to be better and better players and we're giving the majority of them especially in the US we're giving the majority of those kids really shoddy skills like shoddy tools or outdated tools very very uh, ineffective tools and so uh, just from, you know, just from a philosophical point of view, it's a shame that these kids are, are you know, kids are not achieving their full potential, um, writ large, you know, basically because they don't have very good technique or they don't have very good movement. They don't, then they make, and they're given, they're being given some questionable tactical advice, just basic things. And, uh, I think that's kind of a shame. Why does it have to be like that? If if the whole country taught technique and tactics a little better, a little more modern, a little more cutting edge, I'm sure we would have better players. That's not the reason we don't have... Uh, that's not the reason at the top level. Like, the top level is, is okay. Those kids usually get the better coaching. But I'm talking more like from a broad base, like all across the country, the young the young kids at the grassroots level... All those kids could be taught much, much better, and then you have the whole the level of tennis in the whole country would be much, much higher. Um, I'm reminded of maybe how Spain does it, or how maybe how France does it. I feel like the level of technique, for example, in France across the country on a broad, broad base level, on the grassroots level, you see the way players swing the racket and move is exceptional it's very very high like uh, i've noticed that from french players i've had french coaches who work for me and i've i've studied in france not as much as spain but i you know i fo- i followed that and uh, in spain they're not as technical as in france but they do a good job especially with the movement as you guys know in spain the movement they teach players to move beautifully and, and very well and although they're not as technical as in France for example the players because their movement is really good um, if there are some issues little issues with the swing um, it, it can be worked you know can, you can work with that but I think because they have such good all the players around Spain move very well are taught movement very well it helps grow the level of um, of 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 the tennis players in that country, but a little different than, <clears throat> excuse me, a little different than in France, where I think they do even a better job with technique, like the swings. But Spain uh, has that that the 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 whole grassroots, you know, on the the on at the grassroots broad base level, everyone is moving really well, and everyone learns some important. Um, they they, they teach techniques, some important techniques and and um how to play the game in spain all the players learn how to play the game very well tactically i think in in line with the modern game so um you see that in spain you see the really good technical base that i'm talking about uh across the border in france so if you look to europe i think those are like those are sort of the benchmarks for me that i'm comparing uh when i come back here to the u.s and um why can't we do a better job here? I, I don't understand. Why, why, why in the U.S. do we have to teach uh, in such an old-fashioned way to the majority of kids? It's definitely hurting the level of tennis in this country. So let's talk about a little bit. I wrote 
this top 10 list for an article in New York Tennis Magazine. You can check it out if you want the print edition. I think it it's either coming out this month or it came out in the last issue. I think it, I think it's due to be published soon. So if you're in the New York area, you can check out this basic list in New York Tennis Magazine, which is a good uh, magazine for, for the Eastern section. And so the first one, you've heard me talk about it, is with the forehand. And I love to work on the forehand. This is like a Spanish thing in Spain. Uh, they're obsessed with developing a, a forehand weapon, uh, usually with a lot of topspin, unless you're B Batista Agut, maybe. Uh, or very rarely, uh, most of the Spanish players play with really good topspin with a loose arm. And they generate high RPM and a very quick racket. So as the racket's uh, accelerating to the ball, um, there's a like a whippiness. And the racket uh, flies through the air very quickly. So there's a quick acceleration of the racket. And it almost looks like a blur. Uh, it does look like a blur. And so when I have young kids, uh, I'm thinking down the road, I want a forehand like that. And... <clears throat> Unfortunately, what I see taught to the majority of young children in this country is the opposite of a blur or a whip. I see a very, and the opposite of loose, I see a lot of stiff, uh, blocked, cr cramped, tight, locked. You can uh, fill in the, the word, that, the adjective that you'd like to use. Uh, swings. So the swing is uh, very tight. And if you look at the musculature of the arm, so if you're hitting the forehand, if you look carefully, you, you'll see whether there is tension rippling through that arm. I'm talking from the shoulder down to the lower arm to the wrist. Is there a lot of tension there? Or are those segments moving with more elasticity? And that, to me, is the number one most important thing when you're building the forehand. Uh, there, we'll talk about a few other aspects too, but you have a like a little kid in front of you. you know, there's a red ball player or an orange ball player or whatever ball you're using. Uh, the, the arm needs to be elastic. So the segments of the arm, you have the wrist, the elbow joint, the shoulder joint, those joints need to be mobile and uh, supple. There has to be a suppleness to the way the arm is moving. And those joints have to be loose when you swing. Uh, at, it's a little tricky because at impact, the, those joints, uh, like there's, there's a firmness that happens. So, but but pre-impact and post-impact, there should be a lot of elasticity and looseness. So at, at right... You know, biomechanically, as you're getting closer to impact, there is a, a tensioning that happens uh, in anticipation of the impact and in order, to, in order to keep the racket head stable. But in general, I think you guys know what I'm getting at. There needs to be like a looseness in the arm, a looseness in the wrist. The wrist needs to whip. And one of the ways that I found to, to get that is to not teach... I've talked about this a million times. You guys... If you if you if you're one of my students, I know a lot of my students and families uh, are listening to this. You know I'm preaching to the choir here. You've heard this a lot, but 
the, the follow through, the traditional follow through is killing forehands across this country. Uh, the traditional follow through where you go from low to high and, you know, I know exactly how coaches teach it. And you, you maybe, maybe you step in, we'll talk about the footwork a little in, next, uh, and you extend a little and maybe you catch the racket out in front or you follow through to your ear or you wrap the follow through around your neck. You basically follow through low to high. You go the swing path low to high and then you catch the racket. You, you follow through above to the top of the shoulder, to the neck. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. And it's very rarely taught well with, with suppleness and elasticity. For some reason, that, that cue, that teaching cue is killing um, the looseness in the arm of so many players. And so I face a daily battle trying to, to unwork that, to try to unwind the tightness in the players' forehands that I see. It's, it's a daily, weekly battle. E almost every player who comes to me from like a typical club around the country uh, obviously depends on the place. Very rarely do I see a kid with the arm relaxed, with a nice uh, fluidity and, um, and a nice elasticity. And that, that is a huge issue when you're developing the forehand because the best forehands are, are whip-like and the arm is relatively loose. I mentioned that the arm, there's, the tension varies in the arm. So as you're, make, as you're coming up to the impact, the arm will stiffen a little pre-impact but basically one post impact there's also when you wiper and you follow through uh there's a lot the looseness uh returns again and in the in the pre-impact phase there should be a lot of looseness so you can get that lag and the snap through you know it's either called the lag or snap or like rick macy calls it the flip uh there should be a lot of there should be, you have to create lag and whip in the arm uh pre-impact and then there should be, and let's talk about post-impact of the ball. There should be, I found the best way to try to develop looseness and uh, elasticity in the arm is to go, go big on the windshield wiper finish, go big on the rotational finish. So that's where you make a big pronation at the end of the uh, post-impact and you rotate your forearm, so there's a big internal shoulder rotation. Rick Mace would call that turning the doorknob. But I say, like, go, go big on that. You should exaggerate that with young kids. It should be way, it's a little, it's radical for coaches who are steeped in traditional uh, methodology, but go, go big on that. There's, I have a uh, social, socials friend from Russia. I forgot the dude's name. He's the top coach in Russia, but we exchanged a lot of videos, uh, him and I. And he was a top ATP player as well. And he sent me some amazing videos of the way he teaches the foreign with extreme pronation and shoulder internal rotation. Basically, that's the, the windshield wipering action uh, post-impact. And so much so, so much wipering where you rotate the, for, the, the forearm and the shoulder that the racket is pointing directly down at the end of the backswing. Rather than going up to the top of the shoulder, you rotate extreme down 
And I agree with that. I, I think it's brilliant. It's unbelievable. I, 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 I love that. It's so different. And the opposite of what, what uh, you know, most coaches learn here in the U.S. where, where uh, we create so much stiffness and, and we create a locked arm. Uh, this is like a big thing for me, the forehand, because, and I'm going to spend, I think, a little more time on this subject because it's, it's the forehand, as Tony Nadal says, the most important shot in the game. Uh, you might disagree with Uncle Tony. I might disagree a little bit too because I know you're going to say serve and return. But but the forehand now is the, it if it's not the most important, it is, it is the, the primary weapon of tennis. And if we have thousands and thousands of uh, players around this country learning rudimentary uh, forehands, because they're 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 being taught in a way that creates a locked arm, a stiff arm. Like, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing that? And one of the ways that I found is to to create elasticity and suppleness in the arm is to do this extreme wipering uh, post impact. It helps a lot. Uh, the other thing, the other thing you can do is you can just focus on where where the follow through goes. If you can follow through lower, so the swing path will go usually high, low, rises up to the impact, then lifts and extends, and then you go instead of lifting and extending and locking it into the shoulder or the the ear. Or you know where you wrap to your neck at the at the end you go up and then over and then down and try to finish with the racket dangling low so the racket should be there should be like the absence of tension at the end of the forehand stroke and if you go and check most American kids uh, check their tension level I wish there was a like a meter some way to measure it uh, but just go and feel the arm. At the end, and that thing is so friggin' tight. Uh, for 90 percent of the kids that I see, they follow through, and at the end of the swing, they there's so much tension in that in that arm, and they're gripping the racket very tightly, and they're holding, they're forcing the racket, the weight of the racket up high. At the end, I just think it's a disaster, and I see it nine out of ten kids probably, you know. And a kid, once in a while, I get a kid from like a special, maybe from a uh, top academy, or they had a coach who was a very high level coach, um, and they do it. They're they're very elastic, and 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 their forehand looks to me like down the road, their forehand could become a tremendous weapon. Um, so this is a complex uh, complex topic, but I tried to get into some of the little bit of the nitty gritty for those of you who like technique. I hope I don't hope I didn't. Uh, go too far into the weeds where I lost you guys but uh I mean I could probably do I've done a, I think I've done a whole show just on this topic like but it's just I, I keep reiterating it because it's bothering me now this is years later and nothing is changing like all the kids play the same forehand I don't know if it's coming it, it must be coming from the maybe the red orange green curriculums thank you red orange whoever created the red whoever wrote the red orange green Manual for coaches. Thank you very much. You create a lot of business for me. I appreciate it. But you are not helping those kids become the best they can be. I'll tell you that. Um, you have any questions about the foreign guys? See, we got a lot of viewers here. Uh, let me know if you have any technical questions about it. I'm going to move on to. Uh, I think
think the next thing is the back end. Oh, dear Lord. We're going to talk about the back end a little bit and then talk about footwork. But basically, the forehand, just stop, guys. Just stop doing the follow-through like the old way. Stop. Check the check. You have to look for the tension in the arm. Is there a lot of tension in the arm or not? And if you insist on teaching like the classic low to high swing with the finish above above the shoulder, you can do it. You can do it, but there has to be a lot of looseness in the arm. There has to, you have to create the lag and snap. You have to get that flip going in the wrist. You have to use the wrist and you have to be it has to be a loose low to high swing. It can't be like it can't be like super tight. Uh, so that's my the best advice I could give you is check the tension of the arm. So no matter what style you're gonna do, if I can't convince you to go extreme on the wipering, uh, you know, I mean, we could spend the whole show talking about different back swings, like elbow first, or or like Rick Macy style back swing, like ATP back swing, or we, we could get into that too. But I'm just talking about how you generate looseness and. Number one, I do a lot of manual manipulation with the player. I try to like, uh, sounds kind of weird, but you go in there with your hands like a like a martial arts coach and you try to like physically like loosen them up when they swing. We do a lot of shadowing. I do a lot of shadowing with the kids. I, I do a lot of uh, uh, like stages where you have the kids swing slowly, staying loose, and then slowly progress to faster and faster because it... There has to be a progression uh, to help generate the looseness and the elasticity in the swing. If the, Usually when players, what happens is a lot of kids, when they, they try to hit hard, they get tighter. Uh, most kids make the big mistake, adults too, when they try to hit the ball hard, everyone wants to hit the ball hard, but they don't understand that the best way to hit the ball better and harder is with a looser arm, but it doesn't feel right to most people because you, you feel like you lose control when you're too loose. Anyway, so the, the trick is to slowly through progressions teach a kid to be loose and to be whippy and elastic. And I developed a whole way to do that that I think is, it works really well um, with some of the things that I mentioned. Physical manipulation, working a lot on the, what happens to the forearm post-impact, and then just helping the kids through, through feedback, helping them feel how how much tension they're carrying in their in their shoulder and in their arm and their lower arm and in their wrist uh very important so that to me is like a huge huge thing i got to start right here like this is like a huge thing why can't we develop better forehands in this country uh not not so much at the top level i'm talking about like go watch god go watch a junior varsity tennis match go watch a varsity tennis match in high school around this country and it's just a technical disaster land and that's because these are the kids that are going through like red orange green and they're getting like shoddy uh outdated coaching uh advice they're being taught sort of traditional strokes they're not being taught very good footwork and then they all end up on like jv and low level varsity high school tennis and it's a disaster it's terrible you know like, all those kids could look a lot better, have a lot better skills, play a lot better, less injury, fewer injuries. Because if you're tight, 
if you're tight with your swing, if you have problems with a, with a tight block swing, you're creating more more risk of injury because of the load uh, uh, you're putting on the on the on the on the body. And um, you know we'd have much just like on a on a broad level, we'd have much better forehand technical tech, technique across the. So um, number two. You want to get into the back end a little bit? I'm I'm more obsessed with with the forehand. The forehand is driving me crazy. Like the forehands that I'm seeing, it driving me crazy. Uh, there's more to it. I won't take the whole show to talk about the forehand, but God, it's so bad. Uh, backhand. The biggest issue with the backhand. So most people play with two hands. Um, one issue is related to two hands is everyone's taught two hands, which is a mistake. There's a there are a small percentage of kids who can do much better with the one hand and we don't identify them anymore. We just teach all the kids at the low, at the young level, you know, at the club level, young kids, we teach them all two handers. And there's a bunch of kids in there, not a majority, a minority who will play much better with a one hander. And we just, we just box all the kids in, which is a mistake. But really another issue is the, the stiffness and tension on the two handed back. And so coaches don't teach the two hander like, like Jimmy Connors or Chris Everett used to hit it. You know, the two-hander, it, it hasn't changed as much in the last... Like, if you look at the the way the forehand technique has evolved since... If you go decade by decade from the 70s, 80s, 90s to now, the forehand technique and, uh, like, stances, as, as, uh, has, those things have evolved tremendously and you can you can see the way the technique has evolved and we should teach that to young kids don't don't teach them the old way teach them the new way and then with the back end the there's been a lot of evolution but it's a it, not as much as the forehand and not as dramatic so in the back end the main the two-handed back and the main evolution has been like the 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 lag and snap snap of the wrist what the wrists are doing uh, if you have to look at it in high-speed video in slow motion, so you can see that all the uh, uh, the way the wrists are very relaxed and the way the wrists are are basically flipping, as Rick Macy describes it. I'm a big uh, big Rick Macy fan, by the way. I'm, I'm a uh, I studied with Rick, and I think he's fantastic. Uh, so he's a legend, uh, and basically the way the way the the wrists have to be. They make like a little flip or like a little circle, little little lag and snap, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there should be that should be happening on the two-handed backhand. And again, I'll probably say ninety percent of the kids that I see that they are not using their their wrist, for lack of a better way to describe it, uh, properly. They're not generating very uh, very much topspin on, so they're not dropping the racket head uh, at the right moment. And they're not making that little circle, that flip with the wrist on the two-handed backhand. And so the backhand looks tight, uh, cramped, and uh, not fluid, like uh, lacking fluidity. And uh, lacking whip. So it looks kind of like uh, instead of getting a blur when they swing, the backhand looks sort of uh, like you can see the outline of the racket and the arms working. Um my mentor in Spain, Luis Bruguer, would say it looks the same speed. Like the backhand, when they're hitting it, it's kind of like the same speed rather than changing speeds and getting a good acceleration, a good buildup of speed and whip in the racket head. The racket head is kind of 
looks kind of like the same speed throughout the swing or it's slow motion or but it comes from the stiffness you know the stiffness of the arms and that to me on the two-hander is the biggest uh, problem that I see you see a lot you see a lot of two-handers and and there's a minority that should be one hand and then um, if if you see a good a good two-hander uh, some kids get it by chance or by good coaching but most of the kids are super tight uh, the contact points are usually late and behind them. This relates to positioning. I would say on both the forehand and backhand, you see a lot of tension in the body, in the arms, because of the uh, coach. For some reason, we spend a lot more time teaching the swing than teaching the positioning. And so this is more like a general uh, critique or criticism of American coaching, where you, you have a lot of players who they've been taking lots of lessons and they, they they have bad contact points. They're actually in a bad position related to, relating to the ball, and then they're very stiff as they swing. That's a major problem. Uh, that's something they do very very well in Spain. One of the things they clean they clean up the positioning very well in Spain, which is why they have a lot uh, a lot of good players, even uh, at the lower level, the, at the broad base, the grassroots level. They have a lot of players who play well. Um, and I would say in in the U.S., like when you go, when you start, not not at the high level, but when you start going down to the lower levels, like I mentioned, like JV or high school or lower level tournament players, that that there's like a huge technical skills drop off, like it's really bad. You drop off a cliff, and and part of that is it's the movement, the technique of movement, the the way the kids move. They don't receive the ball very well, so they spend a lot of time doing you know practicing their stroke re reproduction uh, or repetition but they're repeating they're hitting the ball consistently late or behind them or too high or too low they're not moving their feet well to receive the ball and so that creates what i'm talking about that's part of the problem with tension it creates a lot of tension in the swing so it's important to try to teach players to position well like on the backhand or the forehand, so that they can swing more with more elasticity, more looseness, and and that it will help them generate topspin and and more effortless power rather than meeting the ball poorly, receiving the ball poorly, and then trying to hit it by forcing it with tension, by forcing it with tightness, and with with uh, with. Uh, Trying uh, the word I use sometimes is muscling the ball. Like instead of trying to muscle the ball with bad contact points, you should try to be loose and fast and quick and whippy with the arms and the racket, but with the better contact point, which will actually give you more power and better spin if you do that the right way. And just most kids have no clue what I'm talking. What I just said is, uh, for nine out of ten kids who whom I see, it they they're clueless to to this I this concept. You know of moving better swinging more loosely uh, and meeting the ball, receiving the ball in a better place in relationship to the body. Like they have no clue what I'm talking about. Uh, and I just think, and I, then I, I say to myself, well, how can this be? Like how can, how can so many players across the U.S. Be, are being taught that? How can they be taught that way? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't understand it. Closed stances and grounded shots. So, this is related to the footwork, getting into the footwork and movement. Closed stances. For God's sake, guys, why do we teach only closed stances to young kids? So we have closed stance backhand, 
closed stance, forehand. I mean, I have kids who've come to me, they've never learned an open stance. They've never learned a semi-open stance. They could be 12 or 13 years old, and for years, the coach said to them, you got to, I mean, you got to step into the ball and transfer your weight. Like, if you go for a lesson, and that's that's the crux of the lesson, like the heart of every like every lesson is step into the ball, transfer your weight. I mean, come on, you should, you should, you got, there's, there's a lot better teaching that can be done than just that, guys. That's pretty basic and really not, not that important anymore. You know, the game is rotational. The game is becoming more and more airborne. The, the, the evolution of the tennis game has become more airborne, more rotational. I just wish coaches would acknowledge that and just understand that stepping into the ball is not a bad thing you know, necessarily. It's good to learn. You have to learn how to square up the stands. You have to learn how to step forward into shorter balls. But most of the game, the game is so high speed now. The game is, uh, you know, pushing players into the corners or the recesses of the court. And you have to have a really fantastic open stance and uh, semi-open stance. And you're going to get in the air a lot. There's a lot of balls where you're going to get airborne, you're going to load and explode, leave the ground, and, and you have to learn how to do that with good balance. And I just think it's a shame that we force so many players, even 2022, like it's not 1972 or 1982, it's 2022, and still a majority of the coaches and clubs around this country are teaching all the kids to step into the ball like totally old school. By the way, that creates more, it creates stiffness. It creates a very linear swing. One of the things that you that I try to get with the, the the modern swing shapes is more of a parabolic swing shape, which is like a circular swing shape, like a hook, like a hook uh, in boxing, rather than a straight punch. And we teach all these kids to step forward and punch straight ahead, very linear create stiffness and then we add those follow-throughs that I talked about that also in, in, in you know kind of encourage stiffness and tightness and what do you get you get players who are uh, don't adapt well to difficult balls they don't move that well laterally or, or backwards for they don't defend that well we don't teach them good open stands and we have players who are very limited in their movement skills and they don't receive the ball very well. They have tight swings and very linear swings. When the whole game has changed, the whole game is uh, is uh, there's a lot of rotational elements to the to the ground stroke technique in terms of the the hips. Uh, the stances are more and more open. The players are getting more and more airborne, you know, consistently airborne. Um, obviously, not every shot, but. In many situations, players are getting more airborne, and we don't teach that nothing. We don't teach that. We teach we teach the kids to stay on the ground, stay on the ground. I have players who come to me. They say the coach said always be on the ground, always never leave the ground, stay on the ground and step in. And if you think that's the best way to teach a young kid, I don't think I'm going to be able to convince you. If you're a diehard like classic, uh, you know, classical method. Tradition, tradition. I mean, tradition has got to change at some point. When the whole game's changing, at some point you got to like wake up and change. You know, change with the world. All right. I mean, or you can stick your head in the sand, and then your your club. You can just teach it the way you want, the way it used to be. But it's okay to teach some of those 
some of those things, but you gotta support the closed stances and uh, with, with good good lateral stances, lateral movement, and open stances, and then get the kids off the ground. Like the game is that's where the game is. That's where the game's going. But when players are stuck on the ground and they don't, um, they usually don't learn to rotate their hips very well, so they don't get this nice parabolic swing shape, and uh, they usually try to get power from other ways like forcing muscling the swing but when you when you load a nice open stance and you explode and get airborne the hips rotate well that pulls the racket through quickly and you can combine that with like looseness and elasticity training like i was mentioning and you can get this nice whippy um elastic forehand that is really powerful and and the swing speed is fast so you're generating a lot of energy but with less effort, and that's the whole goal of good technique, you know. And which we we don't teach any of that. We got the kids locked on the ground. We got the kids locked. Their arms are locked so they can hit the ball firmly, and they're following through here. And there's no way that foundation is going to generate. I mean, for 99% of the kids, that's not going to down the road. That's just going to be it's just going to be a failure, you know, technical failure, technical inefficiency all the way through the junior years into high school and beyond. Most kids do not escape that. Occasionally you can start kids like that and uh, down the road, like they'll start to develop like more modern pro strokes. Uh, but that, that would be very worried if I were a parent or, uh, or a kid, if I was being taught like th that kind of technique at a young age, I think there, there's a high probability that you're going to end up uh, with uh, low, low, low su less success when you're older. You're going to have skills that aren't very good when you're old. There's like the magical idea that, oh yeah, later it's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve into more modern open stances and, and all that good stuff. Usually is, uh, you know, that usually doesn't, that magic doesn't always happen down the road. And a lot of these kids just get, just impossible to like, to uh, escape those technical um, habits that they have, you know, teach it, teach it more modern right away, right when the kids are young. So then they don't have those bad, uh, those difficult uh, challenges when they're older, trying to overcome those years of, of repetition and the years of building stiffness. All right, what do we got here? <clears throat> Should we talk briefly about the serve? I've done whole shows on the serve. Let's do a couple topics on the serve. The idea where you put the racket on your back or uh, in the back scratch and then you kind of like practice a lot of serves from there, big problem. Like that's being taught to uh, thousands and thousands of kids all over the country. I just think it's it's a disaster. I don't know who it came from. Uh, maybe Dennis Vandermeer back in the day or some someone well-meaning coach thought it was a good idea to break down the serve and put the racket on the back. And sometimes I use that, that progression maybe to learn how to like brush up and do spin, but not too much. Like you just, you can't use it too much because if you have kids serving from the back scratch or, or with the racket on their shoulder, like a half serve, if you do too much of that, it gets locked in and the players develop the worst habit of all, which is slowing down or stopping in the during the acceleration phase of the serve so as you're as you're dropping the racket and you have your your power position and as you're dropping the racket and going up to the ball that should be very very fast that should be uh 
Did I mention the word elastic and fluid? That should be quick. That should be like a whip. And when you park the racket on the shoulder or in the back scratch and you, and you teach young kids to do that week in and week out, uh, well, you see that a lot in red ball and, and orange ball uh, training curriculums. It's a disaster because those kids develop the habit of, of, of stopping here or getting stuck here and they don't learn to go, they don't learn to go quickly through the back scratch uh, position. Uh, and, and the other thing related to that, and I think I included that in the article here, is uh, we don't teach the legs. So I think it's a huge mistake across the country. I cannot believe we don't teach jumping on the serve. Again, the serve is an airborne shot. Uh, the tennis, the, the tennis, tennis technique in, at large, in general, at at large, uh, has has become more and more techniques have become more and more airborne. The serve is is it used to be you had to keep your feet on the ground when you serve. The, the serve has is completely load and explode now, airborne, flying, uh, and you can teach that to young kids really easily. Really, I, I've done show uh, po- we've we've done a podcast on this. We can maybe link to it, or you can search through the archives for it. Um, we've done a show on this where, you know, the, one of the easiest things, easy things you can teach a young kid. I'm not, it's not difficult at all, and, it's, and they can learn this with good success, uh, is to just learn how to bend their knees and leave the ground. And that's one of the first things I'll teach any young kid who comes to me, learn how to serve. Learn how to use your legs, buddy. You bend your knees, and you learn to jump, and then I teach them how to land gracefully and with balance. And that's a wonderful thing you can teach anyone. You can teach adults that too, but anyone who wants to learn how to serve. And then the magical thing there is you can take that young kid and you can try to develop their power position and their basically their racket drop, and you can try to coordinate the timing of the racket drop and the acceleration phase with the legs. And you can try to get that sequence better because as Rick Macy says, and as uh, uh, other analysts have, have, uh, have said, I've been saying it for a long time now, is we have a big problem uh, all across the country where we have players who will use their legs uh, at the inter- at, at the, the, with the wrong timing or sequencing with the, the, the arm uh, and the racket drop. So basically, most players are are dropping the racket way too early related to because of when they're young they're taught to keep the racket there on their shoulder there most players have a premature racket drop and acceleration and then the legs come too late so if you teach jumping early you can actually start to solve uh you can start to preemptively f- uh fix that 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 issue that we know is a big problem for kids uh, as they get older, you can start to work on the sequencing of the leg drive, try to get the legs firing and the legs uh, driving the back scratch rather than the back stretch triggering the legs. You can start to get the legs to uh, the, the explosion of the legs to trigger the back scratch and to help the acceleration phase of the arm. You can get that sequencing um, right at a young age and that's that's like incredible if you can do that at a young age and i think that's where we should be focusing on for young kids not just parking the racket week after week and working on half motions you know we should try to get the full motions going obviously you have to sometimes segment the teaching and use some progressions but uh, i'm saying in a limited way and don't let kids get too much muscle memory where they're they're getting used to parking the racket and slowing down the racket and stopping the racket in the back scratch and teach kids to use their legs on the serve because 
that's where you can start to get at the sequencing of the arm movement and the legs. That's a huge part of developing a good serve, the rhythm of the arm uh, and compared, you know, in relationship to what the legs are doing. And if you don't teach the legs for the first few years, I mean, you're missing out on a huge window of teaching opportunity there where you can get the sequencing right. Uh, also, related to the serve, it's incredible to me that uh, nine, I don't want to say nine out of ten, but maybe uh, seven or eight out of ten kids that I see have, have no spin serve. You know, they could be seven, eight, nine, ten, could be 11, 12, 13, 14, high school, no spin serve. So they've gone through years of lessons uh, and all they have is one serve. If, you're, if you have only one serve, you're very limited tactically and um, you're not going to be able to play your best tennis. So what are the serves that you need? You need to have a powerful serve, first serve, and you need to have a slice that you use on the deuce to open the court. So just simple tactics. You, you have to have a good sliding slice serve that opens the court. And then on the add court, ideally, you have a good kick serve that opens the court on that side. So now you have these, these cool tactical options that you can do. You have your power serve, you have, and then you have two open or angled serves. In Spain, they call it abierto, like you open the court. You have serves that you use to open the court. But most of the kids that I see have one serve. Uh, and then their second serve is a slower version of the, that one serve. If you have a player like that, or if your coach is teaching that, um, crazy, you know, re really, uh, really bad, uh, bad development. Uh, young kids should be taught spins early. That maybe they're not going to have huge spin, like a huge kick or uh, really amazing slice yet, but they should be taught those skills early so that they start to develop the coordination and um, the muscle memory for that. And then as they get older, they can grow in uh, to those serves and have a nice uh, trifecta. You know, they can be older and have a good power serve, good slice, and a good kick, ideally. And those things need to be taught younger because they're hard it's hard to learn spin it takes time so if you start that work at seven or eight or nine you you get a big jump start uh, on the the serve development and by the time the player is uh, in their early teens they have these uh all three of those things mastered which is uh, going to help them and you can also start to teach kids some tactics like how to open the court with the spin use the spin to open the court and a lot of kids don't have a second serve Biggest issue, I didn't mention this in the article, but I've talked about this a lot. The biggest issue with second serve is, is a deceleration. So young kids should not be allowed to decelerate on the second serve. Why do kids do that? Because they don't want to miss. So a big, big goal, big target for young kids is to learn how to swing faster or as fast with the same amount of racket speed on their second serve as their first. And I would submit to you guys... 99% of juniors, uh, certainly 9 out of 10 kids I see, they swing slower on their second serve than their first. They, they, don't, they don't jump as much, they don't, they don't use as much energy from the legs, or they don't jump at all, um, and they swing slower. I mean, I have even top, I have some of the best young kids in the country who train with me, and even they fall into that pitfall. So that's a big one with the serves. There's a bunch of things there with the serve. Uh, Movement patterns. Big, big issue that I see is 
around the U.S., most of the kids who I, whom I see, the coaches are teaching them to only move forward, to just basically stand on the baseline, right on top of the baseline usually, and and try to attack every ball and move forward. And and like the idea is that um, you have to go to the net to be a good player, which is um, total fallacy because there are many great players who uh, move backward. And sometimes not every, not every person is meant to go uh, to the net. You know, some players, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, some players are better off uh, playing from the back. You know, some play, not every player has to attack the net all the time. And not every player has to move forward to win. Some players win a lot moving backwards. Some players play better. You know, they win a lot when they play good defense. And we teach... I mean, I can just combine these points, you know. We teach players to usually, primarily, only move forward, like forward movement skills. So on a technical side, we teach them forward stuff, stepping in, stepping in, go, going to attack, going to uh, go to the net um, with their footwork patterns. And we don't teach a lot of the reverse movements. In Spain, they teach a lot of the reverse movements, so they have very good uh, defensive movements for the players and, and the players are skilled moving back and we don't teach that. So I have, I have kids, uh, all the time come to me and they play tennis in this little area. They stand right on the baseline hash mark and they move a little bit left, a little bit right and forward. And that's it. That's all they know how to move. If I ask them to move backwards, they, they, they look at me with a confused face. Like they don't know what the hell I'm saying. You know, like, what do you mean move backwards? How do I do that? Why do I do it? Why should I do that? And that's a, that's another question. Like, why do you want me to move back? Uh, because that relates to the tactical flaw that I see all across the country. As we tell players, as I mentioned, they have to move to the net to be a good player. That's a fallacy. You don't have to move to the net. Is it sometimes good to move to the net? Yeah. You can go to the net and play a nice point like baseline, approach shot, volley. can be really good. Can be you, you can be uh, very successful with that, but not every player does that. A lot of players like to uh, defend, uh, counter punch. Depends on the personality of the kid. Uh, a lot of players like to maybe uh, play baseline and then look for like big weapon, like maybe a big forehand winner, like power baseline. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, like not every player has to be like cookie cutter, all court. Uh, I play baseline, I get short ball, I go to net, I volley. Like, not every point has to be like that. I mean, those, there's nothing... It's good if you want to play like that, but you, you, we shouldn't be telling kids that that's the only way to play. And there's a lot of good ways to play moving back. Defense is should be part of the curriculum, not only technically... So all that stuff is really important. And we just tell the kids, stand on the baseline, take the ball early, move forward. If you're not moving forward, you are you lack courage. Like you're not smart. You're not smart, and you you have uh, fear. You're playing with fear, or you know, like a lot of coaches say, like if you're not moving forward and attacking the net, like basically you're a wuss. Or but it's not true. It's it's a it's a myth. It's a fallacy. You, you moving back is very smart and very. Uh, strategic sometimes and and we should respect when players play great defense we we always in this country we always uh we always congratulate we always uh honor the players who attack but we should lift up 
and uh, support players who play when when players play great defense. We should we should applaud that and we should honor that when when a player like runs really well and. Uh, grinds a guy down and then hits a passing shot like we should we should applaud that and a lot of times are all across the country I, I know this is true we 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 always give encouragement we always applaud uh we always honor and and uh, raise up the players who are hitting the the attack or going for the volley and that's a shame like in spain there's a lot of pride given uh, a lot of honor given to um uh players who like hang back and never miss like it's a great honor it's a great uh achievement to be able to play like that and players are are praised for that and here in the u.s i, I don't think we almost never we, we don't if you if you hang back and uh play a patient point and wear somebody down uh if you play a good defense i think that's rarely applauded rarely praised and and so the kids naturally like uh, all start to want to play like a certain way which i think is wrong uh, so think about that. And do I have one more? I think I have... Oh, yes, I have the tactics. The couple more tactical things. Yeah, what a shame. Like, it's so nice in Spain. Like, a, a player can hang back and play defense, and a coach doesn't, like, yell at them to, like, go to the... Go uh, attack the net. You know, like, some players don't, don't always have to attack the net. You know, always, not every player has to attack the net. Every player is different. But we teach cookie cutter cookie cutter attack uh, so a couple of more tactical things related to the net one of them is to um, approach like when we approach I've had many students come to me and they say my coach says I have to approach down the line always uh, and my coach teaches me a slice approach and also my coach teaches me to a, a, approach down the middle to me these are really big uh, myths like outdated dinosaur ideas you know that you have to approach every ball down the line but what if the guy ha has like a good shot on that side like a good backhand or something like uh should you approach to uh Djokovic's backhand down the line or maybe go angle forehand and attack him there uh just doesn't it never made sense to uh, teach players to always attack one way when you do approach shots I always tell kids you need to number one think about the opponent's weaker side so that should that's more important than approaching a certain way is you try to find the opponent's weaker pass and then in addition to that you have to mix up your approach shots you can't always approach the same way you have to like down the line is good but but also a good angle approach is good uh, a cross-court approach can be good especially if it's to the weaker wing but you have to mix it up because you can't let the other guy get a read on what you're going to do uh, but i, I I mean, every 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 year I have players come to me and say, oh, but I can't approach cross-court. My coach said I only approach down the line. Uh, and my coach told me to approach down the line. Approaching down the middle or with a slice is not a good play anymore. Guys are too fast. Guys are too powerful. The racket, racket technology and string technology has totally changed. And players can whip passing shots from anywhere. The old, the old idea of like, chipping down the middle and going in or slicing down the line or approaching always down the line cover the line react for the cross i mean it's very traditional advice that that is uh you know it's not going to work as well in, t in the way that the way modern tennis is being played it's not going to work as well so try to try not to teach your players 
or try not to let your players uh, develop these thought patterns, these, these, these strategies that are also antiquated in the same way that the techniques that I mentioned earlier in the program are antiquated. There are there are uh, another big one that I, I wrote about for the article is is defense. Like when you play defense, and there's probably more than just these few, but these are the few that were on my mind. But like when you play defense, defensive patterns, if you're allowed to play defense, because I know some coaches, like there's a very famous academy. Well, there's a there's a very well-known coach in Texas who who says that uh, if if you're if you're not attacking uh, you are playing negative tennis. Like so, if you're just playing consistent tennis or defensive tennis, you're playing negative tennis. You, that the tennis is 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 uh, completely bad, basically. Uh, so he's labeled it negative. This academy is a this good academy. They call it negative tennis. You may know who I'm talking about. Very well respected coach. I'm sure he's these guys are good coaches, but but they're only teaching one way to play the game. The only way to play positive tennis is to attack and go forward, which I think is a big, big mistake. And, and, and not every player is going to play their best like that. Um, so if you, if you play steady and consistent, if you play defense, you're playing negative tennis. There's no positive in it at all. And this is the, the extreme uh, philosophy of, of attack, extreme American attack philosophy that I disagree with. Um, but if you are allowed to play defense, what do most coaches say? Defend down, uh, down the line or cross-court? Defend cross-court. Always defend cross-court. I mean, for the same reason, this is ludicrous to play always the same defensive ball. If you're on defense, you got to mix it up. Maybe play, what if you play cross-court defense to the guy, the guy has an amazing forehand, and you play cross-court topspin high defense to the forehand. It doesn't make any sense. In Spain, one of the first things I noticed in Spain is they play a lot of defense down the line. A lot of defense high to the back end, for example, or, or whatever it is. But you, you got to mix up your defense. You got to mix up your approach shots. You can't have like fixed rigid laws that you have to follow, like black and white, always approach here, always defend there. It's crazy. But all the time, I, 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 like I try to teach the defense to the players, like, oh, I have to play cross-court, right? Because uh, like the net's lower, the court's a little lo longer, like, so I have to defend cross-court, right? But no, not necessarily. You can play a nice, uh, very good, strong, aggressive defense down the line, as, just adjust for the net, and you adjust for the length of the court. And it might be much better for you if you're playing that defense to where the other player doesn't expect it and where the other player may have a weaker wing. So those are other examples of, you know, tactical things that I, that I see that are uh, antiquated, outdated, dinosaur. Uh, a lot of these things are, are coming from a game, a, a very different era. You have, a, you know, the tennis world used to be primarily played on grass um, the racket and string technology used to be very different and players, players, uh, that, that affects the, uh, the techniques that are being taught. It, it affects the footwork patterns and, and the, and the way we teach court positioning and it, and it affects, uh, the tactics. So the, the, the game is, uh, has changed a lot and we need to try to evolve with the game and, uh, I don't know if any of you will uh, buy what I'm selling, but uh, I, I believe in this strongly. I wanted to share it with you. I know some of you are, are 
big fans, you'll be like, yeah, but I, I was hoping to get some new, maybe some viewers who are on the fence or teaching a little more traditional style and maybe make you guys, especially if you're a coach or, or if you like, if you're a parent, like try to, if you're a parent, this is a good list to kind of like watch out for. Like you bring your kid to a program. Like I had many parents tell me they brought their kid to a program and they saw some of these things being taught. Like that's not a good sign. I think you should be very wary, maybe run. Uh, if, if these things are being taught to your kids at your local club or program and try to find somewhere where they're going to teach more evolved uh, tennis, more modern uh, tennis technique and tactics. And for coaches, I was hoping maybe I know a lot of here's a secret. A lot of coaches listen to this program. And I know that I know that because I can see who who subscribes and who who watches. And a lot of coaches are using uh the, you know, the things that we talk about here to help improve their coaching and, and to, uh, to, to they, take, they take things they learn here and they use it back home with their students. If you're a coach listening and you teach you know, a very traditional way, try to have an open mind. Try to think about what I'm saying and try to take a step back from the way you were, you were trained, the way you were taught, and just look at look at the game. Like compare a video from seventies, eighties to two thousand twenties. Now look at the way the try to look, you know, objectively at the way the technique has changed, the way tactical patterns are changing, and think about how you could teach kids some of these modern things in a safe and responsible way. And I think you would improve your coaching if you did that. Guys, it's been a great show, as always. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in. Let me know any questions you have. As I mentioned, I'll be doing the email grab bag in future shows, but it's been my pleasure spending some time with you. I hope I didn't go too long here. It looks like a long program, but I guess uh, there was a lot to say. But as always, God bless. I'll see you guys on the next program. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.